Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Sorry you can't see me yet if you're watching online. I'm in the back trying to push a button because I forgot. I wanted you all to be able to hear the Svalbars when they lead us in music in just a moment. So we like to begin our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for, uh, well, for a long, long time. Uh, can we get that little greeting up on the screen? Where, where is that? Oh, there it is. The Lord, how's it go? The Lord be with you. Yeah, something like that. Um, this is what we believe that happens every time we gather for worship, whether we're here in the room, whether we've gathered online. We believe that the Lord meets us here, uh, right where we are, right where you are right now, that the Lord is present. And it's our prayer that we will be aware of his presence, that we'll be open to his presence, open to his voice, open to his grace, open to his work in our lives. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and continue the prayer that we've started with these songs? God, we are so uh, grateful for your grace, for your love for the, the rhythms of grace that you invite us to live in as we discover what it is to live as children of our Heavenly Father, as people who are forgiven of the sins that, uh, that we had dragged around, as we, as we learn how to live lives that are, that are free of all of that and, and find ourselves free now to live lives of love, lives where we extend this grace you've given us to other people. As we learn how to live like the people you died for, as we say. Thank you, God. Thank you that out of love for us, you held nothing back, but you gave all of yourself to rescue us from sin, to set us free from those things we had enslaved ourselves to, to make alive again in us those things that we had killed by our selfishness, by our, by our sinful habits, decisions that we had made. Thank you, God, for the healing that you bring to us, for the new life that we get to experience, for the joy that begins to, to sneak back in where we never thought we would see it again. Thank you, God, for the life you invite us to be a part of and the story, this grand story that you let us be uh, swept up into, this story of your redeeming love, this story of you making all things new, of you taking even the worst of, of humanity's evils and and turning them for good, redeeming uh, our lives, redeeming all of creation, God, by your grace, by your love. Thank you, God, that we get to be a part of the work you are doing in the world today, that we get to join you walking into some places of, of fear, into some places of uh, anger, <laughs> into places of uh, despair, and your light gets to shine through us, but we get to help people experience hope again. We get to help people experience peace. We get to help people know that there's, there are folks who care about them, and, and through us, God, they, they begin to wonder if perhaps maybe there really is a God who cares about them too. Thank you again, God, for all those men and women in our own lives that you have poured your grace into our lives through them. Thank you for the chance we get to uh, to be those people for others. As we partner with you, as we let your grace fill our lives and flow out from us into the lives of others. God, we are confident that you are at work in the world. And so when we see something come across our newsfeed, when we hear about something from a friend, when we, when we see a situation that just seems irredeemable, God, we know that it's not. We know that you are at work and you are able oftentimes through your, through your kids, 
sacrificially giving or sacrificially loving, God, you are able to walk into the worst of circumstances and bring your grace and your peace and your hope. Thank you, God, that we get to see the world differently because of the love you have shown us in Jesus Christ, because we get to live in his victory over sin and death and the devil. Thank you, God. Thank you that today uh, we get to, once again, gather together to sing to you and to worship you and to pray to you, pour our hearts out to you, confident in your ability to come and to do your good work. As we, as we listen to your spirit speaking through the scriptures, God, we pray you'd give us ears to hear, uh, that we would hear what you want to say to us today. Maybe it'll be some of the things that I plan to say, and maybe it'll be something totally different, but it'll be what you need to say to us, God. So help us to encounter you today, that this whole service would be more than just some religious ritual that we uh, check off our list, but instead this could be a moment where we, we encounter the God who made us and who loves us. Thank you, God. Pray all this confident in your love, confident in your presence with us because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Hey, um, look around the room for a second. Some people slipped in while you were singing, while you weren't looking. Give somebody a, give somebody a quick wave, a quick point. On, oh, hey, you're here. Hey, good to see you. Uh, these are folks you might want to touch base with after the service. And uh, I'm looking forward to us getting back to the time where we can just like all go to the room and greet each other and hug each other and, and all that. You know, there are still snacks in the back and, and coffee and stuff. So if you do need that at some point, as long as you're not having to trip somebody or trip over somebody to get to it, uh, and we're all spread out, so you shouldn't have to worry about that, um, feel free, help yourselves. That, that part of the service is often where that would happen, and we took that away from you. So I just want to make sure you know, you can get up. You can roam over there and, and get yourself another, uh, another coffee or whatever. I, I can't see what's back there right now. My eyes aren't that good anymore. Hey, thank you so much, Svalbard family, for leading us musically today. And uh, I promise in the next service, I'll have your microphone on from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it helps. It helps to be able to sing when you've got a microphone that's on. Um, brief announcements before today's message. Uh, We'd love for you, those of you in the room, to grab one of those little green cards and let us know you're with us and how we can pray for you and drop it in the box along with any gift you might be giving today. Uh, if you're joining us online or if you'd just rather use your phone, you can go to livinghope.info connect, fill out a digital connect card, uh, let us know how you're thanking God this week or if there's anything you're celebrating, like a <clears throat> recent engagement over there in the corner back there. Um, for those of you who don't, who don't know, those two back in the corner just got engaged. So, yeah, congratulations, guys. Um, yeah, if you have anything that you're celebrating, thanking God with, or if you'd like your church family to join with you in praying for something, you can let us know on that little digital connect card. And if you want to give today, you can do that online too. Uh, go to livinghope.info slash give. And uh, while you're there, you can hit the drop down and, and make another gift to Habitat. We are over halfway to our $6,000 goal. Uh, we would love to, to get the rest of the way there so we can capture all of that match, uh, which then all gets matched again, I think, by Thrivent Financial. So every dollar you give to this new house that's being built here in Valparaiso uh, turns into $4. So uh, we would love to have you give to that. And um, I think... Next Sunday is Halloween, is that right? So today's the 24th, next Sunday's the 31st. Uh, I know our boys are excited. They've already got their costumes. They're ready to dress up. And uh, I don't, just so you know, we've, we've always said this is a church where you can be yourself. 
Uh, if you want to be somebody else next week and wear your Halloween costume, feel free, all right? There's, nobody's going uh, to mind if you wear your costume next week. So I just want to put that out there in case there's anybody that's like eager to, you want to try it out. And uh, I don't know if our boys are going to do that or not. But Stacy's looking at me like, you crazy? I'm not letting them wear their costumes at church. But anyway, just putting that out there in case anybody felt like it. So next week, if you're here and somebody walks in and they're all costumed up, uh, you know, congratulate them on their boldness, on their courage, on their willingness to do that, okay? Um, because I'm looking at you guys right now and most of you are saying like, no way in heck, I'm not dressing up next week. I'm going to dress up next week, all right? I'm going to be in costume, so just so you know. All right. Uh, we are finishing today this series that we started six weeks ago, uh, going through that book, uh, Way, Truth, Life, written by uh, uh, David Busick, one of the general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, there are still some copies of that out there. If you didn't get a copy, uh, feel free to take one on your way out. Uh, I had some folks tell me they were really enjoying the book. I'm sure there are some folks who are like, eh, it's all right. You know, we're all different. But for some folks, this thing really clicked. And so if, uh, if you haven't given it a shot yet, feel free to help yourself to one of the 10 or so copies that are still out there on the table. And uh, I know we're wrapping it up, but uh, boy, the book goes into a whole lot more detail and a whole lot of other stuff than what you've heard here on a Sunday morning. So if, uh, if you've enjoyed anything from these past few weeks' messages, uh, including Pastor Judy's message last week uh, on God's sustaining grace that sees us through, um, please grab a book and, uh, and read up on that chapter. And, um, and yeah, I'm confident there, there'll be some scriptures that you didn't hear. There'll be some stories you didn't hear. There are some great stories in there this week that I just couldn't fit into today's message. And so I hope that you'll read the chapter that goes along with, with this one. Uh, but I did want to start off, this verse is, uh, is why the book is named what it is. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. The, this whole thing is about Jesus, all right? Uh, this whole journey of discipleship, this journey of grace we've been describing, this is it's all about Jesus. It's connecting with him. He is the way to the life that he has, he's called us to. He is the truth about God and about us. He is the one who gives us life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus reveals to us who God is. And uh, I know we have all sorts of messed up pictures of God sometimes. Um, we think he's the, you know, old guy on the throne with the long white beard who doesn't really care. He's like, eh, just let him have their fun, you know, whatever. Uh, or we think of God as this, you know, angry God just waiting to drop a lightning bolt or a disease on our heads or something like that. And that is not the God that Jesus reveals to us, all right? If you have questions about God, Look to Jesus and see in him who God really is. Uh, there's another scripture that says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it really leads us where today's message is going about God's grace that is sufficient for our every need. Uh, this is, uh, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's right in the middle of a conversation we're breaking into. Uh, I encourage you to read, read that for yourself later, the rest of that chapter. But the Apostle Paul says, uh, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, you know, back when he created, you know, let there be light. So this same God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Saying we look at Jesus and we see God's glory displayed. And he's shined his light. He's enlightened our hearts so that we can see this, so we can recognize this. So we don't just see Jesus as some uh, amazing teacher or some moral example uh, who sadly, you know, died at the hands of the Romans, uh, including with the religious leaders of his day. No, we see that this is God's glory displayed in, in the life of Jesus Christ. But then he continues, we have this treasure, this, this knowledge, this glory, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. He's, he's not saying like we actually carry around clay jars that have like this treasure in it, right? He's using this as, a, as an analogy for us, saying we are like these clay jars. We are fragile, easily broken. This, this shows that this all-surpassing power, this glory of God that is seen in Christ, that this, that this is from God. It's not, it's not mine. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Some of you right now are saying, wait, that's a song that we sing sometimes here. Yeah, it comes right from this passage of Scripture, all right? It says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Now, that's a little bit weird, just to be honest with you, all right? He, he is speaking from experience. Paul has been through the ringer. He has been through all kinds of dangers. Uh, he has been, uh, there's another one of his letters where he just kind of lists all the stuff he's been through. You know, he's, uh, he's been rejected. He's been shipwrecked. He's been uh, stoned and left for dead. That's one of the ways they executed you in those days. They threw rocks at you until you're dead. He said, they did that to me a couple of times. And I didn't quite die. I survived, you know. He, he has been through it. And he's saying, this is kind of on purpose. We go through great difficulty in this life and it helps to reveal that this treasure, this amazing glory of God is not something we are coming up with. This is something from God who sustains us through all these difficulties. You know, hard pressed, not crushed. Perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. So in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. I've kind of had this picture almost of that clay jar, you know, that's like got this amazing glowing treasure inside of it. Uh, you kind of think Raiders of the Lost Ark, I suppose, you know, this blinding, you know, thing in the, in, inside the ark. Anyway, I'm picturing this little clay jar, and as it gets nicked and cracked and jostled, you can start to see, like, the light starting to shine through those cracks. Yeah, that's kind of the picture in my mind as I'm reading this. Like, we, in our lives, we face all kinds of difficulties we face these troubles, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. God's, God's life, God's energy it, it continues to live within us, and it shines through right in those moments when we seem to be the weakest, when we seem to be most damaged. That's when God's glory is revealed in us. He says, for our light and momentary troubles, he, he calls them light and momentary, even though it's like, you know, life-threatening. Uh, you know, he's nearly been killed repeatedly, but he says, oh, these are light and momentary troubles. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So you can kind of picture him like putting them on the scales. You know, the old-fashioned scales where you had to have a weight on each side, you know, and that's how you know in the old Monty Python movie whether she's a witch or not, right? It depends if she weighs the same as a duck. Um, but, you know, the old scales, you know, scales of justice, you know, those, those pictures, He's saying on one side are all the troubles we go through in this life, and on the other side is the glory that is going to be ours. And he says, man, that's just, it far outweighs all the stuff we go through here and now. So much that these just seem light and they're momentary. They're temporary. They're going to last just a few moments, but this glory lasts forever. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, this temporary stuff, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, this hope that we have that we look forward to. 
See, this journey of grace we've been describing in this series, uh, if, if we just looked at it, um, well, you could look at it and, and kind of get this unrealistic picture, right, of what life is going to be like. You know, God in his grace is with us. You know, he's been seeking us out since before we ever thought of him. And he finally gets us to this point of, of accepting his gift of salvation, this saving grace that transforms our lives. And he's, he's uh, you know, he's sanctifying us. He's cleansing us. He's making us holy like he is. He continues to refine us and to change us. And, and he's sustaining us day by day. He continues to, to feed us spiritually every moment of our lives. And, and you could have this unrealistic picture that just says, man, life is just going to be perfect. If, if God is on our side, uh, well, Paul says in another place of God's force, who can be against us, right? But then, you know, the person that we're praying for doesn't get better. Or we're praying about a job thing and we, we lose the job. Or our health crisis still persists. Physical health, mental health, it, it, it's still there. It's not taken away. We find ourselves hard-pressed. We find ourselves perplexed. We find ourselves persecuted. We find ourselves struck down. We feel the weakness of these jars of clay that are our lives. And we need God's grace to sustain us. We need God's grace to, to carry us through. God in his grace doesn't, doesn't remove all the, the memories that we have um, of the pain, of the, of the grief, of the shame. He doesn't remove all our memories. God doesn't, God's, in his grace doesn't exempt us from all the damage that we may have caused ourselves or others. He doesn't erase all the, the sorrow, doesn't resolve our, our fragility our weakness. But God's grace does reframe our stories, does help us to take those memories, and he redeems them because he helps us to see them in, in, as part of a bigger story, a bigger work of his redemption. We see that those don't have the final say in our lives and don't, don't define us any longer. God does work in those cracks. <laughs> he, does, he does shine through. He does deepen our intimacy with him and help us to grow closer to him as we depend on him more and more. God in his grace, he does reveal uh, that he is the source of our grace, of our life. And we can thank God for being with us in all these light and momentary troubles. I know there are some of us uh, who are part of this church family, some here, some uh, connecting online, some will be in the next service, who are like, man, if, if Paul was here and he called my problems light and momentary, he would, uh, he'd be walking out with a black eye or a bloody nose or something, you know, because this is not light and momentary stuff that I'm going through, that my kid is going through, that my family is going through. But that's, again, Paul isn't talking to you about your stuff so much as he's talking about his own stuff. He's looking at his own life and is able to say, man, what I've been through, it just doesn't, just doesn't measure up to the, the eternal glory that is, that is coming to the amazing way that God shows up in my life, right in the midst of these disappointments, these frustrations, these weaknesses. And he, he means it as an encouragement, <laughs> you know, to, to you and to me to say that God, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is, is the same God who can bring good out of our struggles. You know, he can, he can shine his light into our darkness. I mean, there's a, there's a great example from Paul's own life. I put it there in your notes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
He's just been talking in the lead up to this about uh, these amazing visions that God was giving him, these revelations. He said it's like he was caught up into heaven and, and walking with God and, and learning all these things that you can't even express in words. And, and he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know what this thorn is exactly. I've been all kinds of theories. Some people think it was like some physical ailment. We remember from Paul's story when he was uh, persecuting Christians. He was on the way to Damascus to arrest more of them and, and throw them in jail. That's where Christ encountered him in like this unbelievable way and that he was struck blind in the encounter. And it, for three days he was blind until God sent someone to pray over him and it's, he said it's like scales thrown from his eyes. And maybe people theorize, maybe he had ongoing issues with his vision, with his eyes from that day forward. There are all kinds of other theories about, about physical stuff, emotional stuff, relational stuff that this might have been. But all we know is that it was something that was keeping him humble. <laughs> it was a thorn in his flesh. He, he felt tormented by it. Enough so that he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a great quote in the, in the book, in this week's uh, chapter, uh, where it imagines God saying, saying to Paul, you are stronger in your weakest moments when I'm with you than you are in your strongest moments without me. And that's, that's basically what he's saying here. It's like with God, even in our weakest moments, we are stronger than we are when we're just on our own. Um, this, uh, this, I'm, I can't help but think of uh, modern, like contemporary politics. Uh, and, and business life and kind of celebrity culture in general, I guess, when I'm, when I'm reading this. Because uh, it's not that different from Paul's day, where um, you know, everything that happens has to be spun as a win, right? Everything has to be spun as a positive. Uh, you can't ever just have bad news. Uh, not if you're trying to win an election, not if you're trying to succeed in business. You know, it always has to be kind of spun as like, oh, no, no, they're not, they're not opposed. They just haven't come around yet. And, and, oh, but this group over here is so much more in favor. And, and you know, we have to come up with a way of, of seeing it all positively. And it, it was similar in his day. I mean, you just didn't want to go. If Paul is traveling around telling people about Jesus and he shows up in Corinth or he shows up in Ephesus or he shows up in one of these cities and, uh, and he's talking to people and they're kind of wondering, who is this guy? What, what do we know about this, this guy, this stranger, this newcomer? And so they'd ask around and they'd find out. And, and you know, the, the stories that, you know, you'd want to, you'd, you'd kind of want to have your, like, your hype man who's going in and, like, telling, you all, telling people all the good things about what you've done and how many, you know, how many, the size of the crowds that you've gathered and, and all the difference that's been made. And, and Paul, instead, he's like, oh, I go ahead and tell people, like, oh, yeah, they tried to kill me in the last town. Um, oh, yeah, I was shipwrecked. Oh, yeah, I was, you know, all, all these negative things that, sh that made him look weak that made him look like not impressive right these were not things that you'd show off like this is not what you include on your resume this this is what you leave off these are the gaps in the resume typically right and Paul is saying no I, I go ahead and I list those things I let people know that way when God does something impressive it's real clear it's not from me 
It's not because I'm impressive. It's because God is amazing. And God is able to do things that, that I can't do. I'm just some guy that the people in the last town kicked out of town, right? I'm not this impressive person like these other people you could go and listen to. That's what he's saying when he says, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions, difficulties. He's saying, I don't hide from that stuff. I don't hide from the things that just show me to be a regular old guy that that some people don't like. Because that's where God shows up. In our humility, in our willingness to ask for help. Now I know um, sometimes we hear this about Paul having a thorn in the flesh or, or being weak, and, uh, and we kind of think of like moral weaknesses. Or maybe this was just me. Maybe this was just me trying to come up with an excuse in my younger years as I was uh, dealing with whatever temptation it might be and thinking like, oh, yeah, that's, that's my thorn in the flesh. You know, I just, there's this temptation I can't seem to get rid of that I continue to give into, and uh, this failure of mine, that, that must just be, um, I'm, I'm kind of like Paul. I've just got, but God's grace is enough. He continues to forgive me, and he's going to see me through, and I don't think that's where Paul's going with this, all right? Uh, I don't think he's saying, like, so it's not a big deal if we just have this persistent sin in our lives, this temptation that we continue to give in to. Um, in fact, there are other places, I didn't quote this one, where he, he says pretty specifically, you know, so should we just keep on sinning so that God can keep being gracious to us and be glorified by that? And he's like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not how this works. Not how any of this works. Um, but in 1 Corinthians, if I just want to stick in these letters to the, the people in Corinth, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, he has just been listing some of the things that have happened in the Old Testament, some of the things that have happened to the people of God in the times gone by, some of the ways that they had disobeyed and some of the consequences that then they suffered because of it. And he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. He says, like, we're living in this this amazing time where God is finally doing what people have been waiting for thousands of years for God to do. God has finally sent his son, Jesus Christ. He has finally you know, broken this thing open to the whole world. He is finally making things right. So these were examples and warnings for us. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful. You don't fall. He's like, if you've been looking down on these other people, like some of them probably were looking down on the Jews of his day, and, and especially then as Jerusalem ended up falling to the Romans and the temple destroyed. He's like, if you've, if you've been looking down on other folks and thinking, ah, look at them, those poor schlubs, they can't get anything right. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. Are there the same kinds of things that tempt them or the same kinds of things that might tempt you? And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is God's grace at work in our lives right here. So Paul, I don't think, would have had any, uh, any room for someone saying like, oh yeah, this, this weakness of mine is like uh, some kind of moral weakness or an inability to like follow Jesus or do what Jesus wants me to do, and, and I should just live with that. No, he's saying God, God always provides a way out. He always provides an escape for us, away from temptation. Now, obviously, if we fall to it, if we, if we fail, then he is there and ready to forgive. But he doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want to live just in a cycle of, of failure and forgiveness, failure and forgiveness, failure and forgiveness. When we are tempted, he provides a way out. And that's why the very next verse, he says, Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. Flee. Get away from it. 
And I went ahead and put in your notes a, a couple of other passages. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, 1 Timothy 6, 11, 2 Timothy 2, 22. These other places where this flee from sin, flee from, from sexual immorality, one of them says. Flee from these uh, passions of youth, he says to Timothy in one place. Uh, flee from all these things. He's saying we need, to, we need to get away from these temptations, if at all possible. By God's grace, we need to remove temptation from our lives if we need to. If we find ourselves in a cycle of, of weakness where we're like, you know what, I just keep, I just keep giving into that one. It's like, okay, well, maybe quit putting yourself in the situation where you're going to come face to face with that. You know, it was the, um, <clears throat> as the old joke about the person that's trying to, to lose weight. It's probably not a joke, just a funny story. Sorry. Don't, don't want you to be waiting for a punchline. Um, person was trying to lose weight, but they kept every day on the way to work, stopping at the, they'd go by the donut shop, and like, oh man, I just can't help myself, and pull, they'd find themselves pulling in, buying donuts, taking them to work, for, you know, for the co-workers, and then, you know, helping themselves, and, and they were trying to, to make a change, they're trying to lose weight, and they're even praying, God, please help me to lose weight, oh, I'm pulling back into the donut shop, and, um, and then one day they got to work, and they were like, wait a minute, what happened, I, I don't have donuts, what, what happened, what was different, and they realized there was construction, on their usual route, and they'd had to take a different route, and they hadn't driven by the donut shop, and they'd just gotten all the way to work without even thinking about donuts, and they realized their prayers were answered, you know, that God had answered their prayers, and so from then on, they just kept taking, the, the road got fixed, and they just kept taking the other route to work, because they realized, if I drive by, I'm going to pull into the donut shop. If I go around, if I take the slightly longer route, it takes me an extra minute, but it, I'm, I'm avoiding that temptation, and sometimes that's what we need God in his grace to do, to help us do to help us to, to take a different route, to do something different, to make a change in the, in the people that we spend time with or the things that we watch or, or whatever it might be um, so that we can flee from that sin, so we can flee from that temptation, to see that as God's answer to our prayers, God's grace at work in our lives. Yeah, so I don't think that's where he's going with the, with the weakness thing. I think, it's, I think it's more just that, you know, this just doesn't make sense to people. The idea that God would work through, like, the weaklings. You know, we, we tend to think if someone's, like, succeeding, right? If someone's on top of life, well, then they must be blessed. They must be doing the right stuff. They must be, you know, they are healthy, they are wealthy, they are wise, they are doing all the right stuff. And so God must be with them. And so, yeah, man, I'm voting for them. Or, yeah, I'm giving them my business. Or, yeah, I want to be, you know, I'm going to watch their show. Or whatever it might be. We tend to look up to the folks who have it together. And... And yet, God shows us that he works through folks who don't have it together, that, that he continues to call people who, who aren't on the top of life, but instead are on the bottom of life, and that this is what he even does in Jesus. This is the, this is the reason why in so many churches there's a cross up in the front reminding us that our, our leader, like, lost. You know, he He died. He didn't succeed against the Romans. He was killed by the Romans. And yet, <laughs> right, that's not the end of the story. God conquers death. God you know, brings Jesus back to life. The resurrection breaks in early in Jesus. And we see that the powers of this world have nothing on the God who created this world. That we are stronger in our weakest moments when we're with him than we are in our strongest moments without him. And that's where in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, Paul kind of, he follows this train of thought. And possibly because, well, well, we'll see. 
He's talking to a group of folks who, who aren't on top of the heap. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. He's quoting uh, the Old Testament. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We can see how that doesn't make sense, right? Sometimes we, we Christians can live with this for so long that we don't see how ridiculous it must sound to, to other folks. Um, and I, I count myself among that group, that how, how ridiculous it might seem to think like that we listen to someone who was killed, that we listen to someone who lost, that we pattern our lives after someone who the trajectory of their life wasn't like, woohoo, up and to the right. It was like, no, it's, it means suffering and potentially death. It looks foolish to not look out for number one. It looks, it looks silly to other people sometimes to not do what would be best for you instead of you know, what Christ calls us to, doing what's best for others, giving of our time, giving of our resources, giving of our lives for the good of other people. But as he continues, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I have this picture of like, you know, you're, you're setting up for your game in, uh, in elementary school, high school, whatever, when you pick teams, right? And you, all the kids are lined up and you got the team captains and, and, you know, of course, you pick the biggest, the strongest, the most athletic, the fastest, right? And I have this picture like God is over there like picking the, the, the slowest, picking the kid who's got the, the limp, picking the kid who you, you isn't going to score a single point for the team the whole game. And he does these things. God, God does these things, he says, to, to shame the strong, to shame the wise. Because in the end, the wise and the strong don't, in fact, win. Right? In the end, the wise and the strong die, just like all of us do. But God gives grace. His, his light is shining through the cracks of these fragile clay jars. And the more we are broken, the more God's light and the more God's life, the more God's strength, the more God's wisdom shines through. It says, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, you know, the people that others were pushing to the side and wanted nothing to do with, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Christian faith 
And God's church is not the place for the, all the successful people of the world to gather together and to pat each other on the back and say, aren't we wonderful? You know, the, the church is the community of people who have recognized their brokenness, recognized our need, recognized our foolishness, our failures, and have said to God, God, I need your help. And God is the one who calls us. God is the one who says it's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. He is the one who gives us his wisdom. He is the one who gives us his strength. He is the one who gives us the grace that we need to continue, even when our clay jar seems so fragile, even when the thorn in our flesh is, is chewing us up. Even when we, what we want to pray is, well, what I included there from Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I love the, the Psalms. And I, I feel like I've said this too often, but it's probably been a little while. I love the Psalms. We've got 150 songs, prayers there in our Bibles, uh, right in the heart of our Bibles, giving, giving voice to every different bit of the human condition that we can imagine. And Jesus himself, as he is foolishly dying on the cross, uses the Psalm to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we find ourselves crying out with that kind of a prayer, we're echoing the voice of Jesus. He's right there praying that with us. We are joining Christ in that prayer. Just like when we find ourselves praying, God, please, would you take this away from me? And God says, no, we are joining the Apostle Paul in that prayer, right? There are times when all we can do is lament and hope that perhaps God will bring some good out of the the evil that we are experiencing. And when we do that, there is a prayer for that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a prayer of trust that Jesus also, likewise, prayed from the cross, from Psalm 31. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. It's a prayer that just says, okay, God, (laughs) you know how fragile I am, how weak I am. You know that I'm still struggling. I'm glad, God, your grace has sought me out. You have forgiven my sins. You have been doing this sanctifying work. You, you've been sustaining me, but here I am in this situation that I don't, I don't feel much hope right now. I'm not sure how this, this doesn't seem wise. This doesn't seem strong. This doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to lead to something good. But God, I, uh, I even feel forsaken by you right now, God. But into your hands, I commit my spirit. I am entrusting myself to you, God. I gotta say, if that's all you can do, that's, I wanna say that's enough. That, that's a good thing to be in that place where you are entrusting yourself to the arms of your loving Heavenly Father. We are trusting that God will, in fact, lead you through whatever evil it might be, whatever uh, discomfort, whatever trauma, whatever, <clears throat> whatever might be going on that is trying to crush you. This, if you entrust yourself to your loving Heavenly Father, I think you'll find on the other side of it, you'll be able to look back and see, okay, God, that's, your grace really was shining through. I'm thankful that um, this is one of those moments where it wasn't uh, pre-planned, but um, when I saw the songs that uh, the Scott and Svelbars had planned to sing, the song for communion, I thought, oh, that's a good one. And it's another, it's another one of the psalms. It's one of those that comes right from the 23rd psalm. Um, entrusting ourselves, follow, being willing to follow this, this God who is our, our good shepherd, who provides for us, who leads us well. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Um,
that God will continue to lead us well on this journey that he's invited us into, this journey of following Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that even in our darkest moments, you give us words uh, with which to cry out to you when we feel forsaken, when we feel abandoned. God, there's, we feel that way, but there's this part of us, there's this memory that by your grace you, you enable us to hold on to that says, you know what, God, you've been there in the past, so please, please will you be there for me now? Where we can cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But at the same time, we can pray into your hands, I commit my spirit, I commit my life. God, this, this room is, is filled with a whole bunch of people who have prayed that prayer to you, who have shown that over the years, that they find you trustworthy, that they've committed themselves to trusting and following you. And we could probably all share some stories this morning of ways that you have been faithful to see us through all sorts of different things. God, I pray that you would give us the courage today to continue to trust you or tomorrow, or whenever that time comes where we are feeling the, the fragility of these clay jars that you have uh, placed the treasure of your glory in. Whenever it is that that thorn in our side uh, starts to really uh, bother us. God, when those moments come, would you help us to, to continue to entrust ourselves to you and to your care? That is what we do today, God, trusting that by your grace, you will always provide a way through for us. You'll provide a way out from temptation. You'll provide a way through the difficulty, through that dark valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> we won't be afraid because you're with us. Thank you, God. Thank you for being with us today. And for this sacrament where we are reminded of your presence with us, even at the lowest point of our lives, even in the moment of death, you are with us. We offer to you today these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood, reminded that you meet us right where we live, right where we die. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to us. While we were still sinners, you died for us. You gave your life. You, you took our death so that by your death and resurrection, uh, you could break the power of sin and death and set us free and make new life possible for us today. Today, God, we offer you ourselves with all of our successes and all of our failures. We acknowledge our need of your mercy and grace. And we thank you that you are a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You've shown us this faithful love in your son, Jesus Christ. And today, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, you are guiding us into moments of confession and moments of forgiveness where we can know ourselves to be forgiven by you, where we can experience the, the shame and the guilt being washed away, 
And we have a sense of your new life being poured into us here and now. Thank you, God. Thank you for the life that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's all by your grace. We are happy to say yes to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in praying the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Could we pay our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, the Svelbars are going to come. They're going to lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. Uh, I'll be down front here with a basket of bread and, and a cup of juice. Uh, if you'd like, as we sing, uh, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and then return to your seats. Um, we've got the regular bread, the gluten-free bread. We've got the little cups up here. Uh, or we also have them at your tables. Uh, if you'd rather uh, participate from your table, that's fine too. Uh, but this is a moment that's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, who are hungry for his grace. So let's give him thanks and let's celebrate. Thank you, God, for being our good shepherd who leads us well, even through the darkest, most difficult parts of life. You give us grace that is enough to see us through. Help us to depend on your grace, to lean into your love. Today, God, as we prepare to go from this place back into whatever, whatever situations we, we find ourselves, some of them wonderful, some of them very challenging. God, would you fill us today with your Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of Christ? Would you fill us with your grace so that when life squeezes us, it's your grace that seeps through these cracks. It's, it's your love that shines out from us. Thank you, God. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.